This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. On the line with us uh, right now is Mark. Mark was a client of Sands & Associates. He recently chose to file a con- uh, consumer proposal to deal with his debt situation. Mark, w- can't tell you how happy we are that you've been able to take some time and talk to us. And and uh, it's just so good for other folks to hear what other people go through uh, because things resonate and then they go, okay, this guy did it. Maybe I can or, or gives me some food for thought to take some action. So thank you very much. You're welcome. Great. So uh, I guess the first thing we want to hear about is uh, the situation that brought you, that got you in the door at Sands & Associates. Well, what happened was I had a couple of long layoffs over the last three years, and living in Metro Vancouver isn't exactly cheap. Mm -hmm. So you put those two things together, and as much as I tried to stay ahead, I just couldn't and after a while the spiral began and you're just getting further and further behind so um yeah that's pretty much what happened and how long were you laid off for mark that the first and the second time uh first time was about nine months and the second time was about 11 months that's oh, a, those are wow. very long periods of time yeah and I think the other thing, too, I'd just like to point out this uh, before you continue on, is that this is the kind of situation that you, that Sands & Associates mm-hmm. runs into. This is of no fault of your own, right, Mark? I mean, layoff is a layoff, and you don't have any control over that. That's that's right. You you don't. And your, your budgets are, you know, you're doing okay and everything when you're working, but as soon as you lose that income and now you're relying on EI, um, or some other form of, you know, savings or something that you might have when you're relying on something that turns out to be, you know, less than half of what you had, um, you, you, there's just no way. You just can't keep up. Yeah, and Mark, we talk a lot on the on this show about, you know, how you can kind of protect yourself a little bit as to have an emergency fund, and the emergency fund we talk about is often six months of expenses, and yeah, that would, that would help, but, you know, you went through 20 months of a layoff here, so yeah, I think it's, it's no surprise here, not putting words in your mouth, but was it you started to have to use credit to just, you know, pay for some living expenses as the layoffs continued? Is that what happened? Yes, that's, yeah, it's uh, just more and more credit, and things just, just happened that to just keep going you get into that spiral of okay how am i going to pay for this well we're gonna we're gonna do it this way this month and this way next month and next month and it just keeps going how long did it take you mark before you realized that you were in the situation you were in and that you needed to ask for some help and get some help with it i tried dealing with it on my own for about a year and a half um i downsized my vehicle i down, I cut my insurance coverage. I moved to a cheaper place. Um, uh, cut down on my food bill as much as I could. I cut everywhere, um, just trying to keep the the head above water type thing. 
And Mark, did you have any debt before you were you were laid off, or was it suddenly that you really started to go into debt once the income got hit? I was able to keep up with everything. At that, I had student loan debt and mm-hmm. and uh, and um, stuff like that that I was keeping ahead of. But when you lose your, you know, half your income like that, it it kind of you gotta you gotta start cutting somewhere, and you just end up going behind and. You make the phone call. Can I pay this one next month? Can okay? Will you let me do this much this month and this month? And you just back and forth, back and forth, and eventually you're just so far behind. Yeah, and Mark, I wanted to understand that a, a little bit because I know you know I've I obviously was not the first person you called to try to fix this this problem. You know, first you tried to deal directly with the creditors, as you were just saying. What was that like? Did you find that they were receptive to working with you? Was that you know the right thing to do for a period of time? Was there any good coming out of that? <laughs> funny you should ask. There was absolutely no good coming out of that. Oh, really? Um, okay. In fact, one of them even told me that I should buy a tent and then use my <laughs> rent money to pay my bills. That's wow. compassionate, eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Un- exactly. Unbelievable. Because, hmm, yeah, I, I hear it from a lot of clients that, you know, the first thing we say is, well, talk to your creditors. You know, if you owe one person money and you can't pay them this month, maybe they'll allow you to, you know, pay next month or a lower interest rate. But what I hear again and again is, you know, usually it's that you need more credit because if you need more credit, we can maybe help you. But beyond that, there's not a lot of help directly from creditors. It sounds yeah, like that the, was your the only The only one that was really willing to make any um, concessions was actually the federal government student loan. Okay. Um, otherwise, nobody else was even willing to to talk about any other ideas. And what were they willing to do? Was it an interest freeze or you know suspend payments for a while? Uh, suspend payments for a while and then start with you know fairly low payments um, after that. So oh. it was um, they they were they were quite compassionate compared to just about everybody else. Right. So you made the decision to ask for some help, and you ended up going to Sands & Associates. Uh, what about the whole consumer proposal? That's what you ended up doing, but had you even heard about a consumer proposal before that? I had, um, but I, I, was hoping that I, I was hoping that I wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, so I'd... Um, you know, when I sat down and and I'd heard the ads for Sands and Associates before, and once I started to think about it, that yes, okay, maybe this is what I need to do. And how was your overall experience from the from the start? It's so easy, so exceptionally easy, and and overall really quick, like a matter of two or three weeks, and uh, we had things on track and fixed. That's great, Mark, and and I know I, I'm happy you're on the show because you and I dealt um, directly at at every step here. So I wonder just to give our listeners a little bit of a sense of what what people go through. So you know, the first meeting you you walked in the door, you hadn't met me before. Um, can you give me your sense of you know that meeting? What were you expecting, and, and what actually happened there? Well, I the first thing I noticed, Blair, was there was no judgment mm-hmm. as to how how I ended up in your office. Um, you were just, you just wanted to help. Right. And it didn't matter how I got there. Um, you just wanted to help. And that was really the, like, wow. That was a wow moment. Oh, good. And, um, you know, that uh, that kind of built the trust right there. And, 
you know, once we once we went through the solutions, it was, you know, it was easy to accept. And what was the end result, Mark, in terms of what did you what did you come out with after you guys figured out what you could pay and and uh, and how to move forward? How did all that go? Uh, really well. Um, I'm I don't remember exactly what the the percentage in in total debt reduction was. Blair may remember that, but I know there was a significant reduction and. Um, and the payments are something that I can easily handle right now. So uh, it was a really good process. I really enjoyed actually working with Blair. And it must feel pretty terrific. It feels great. Um, for the first time in a long time, I'm you know not worried about um, not worried about uh, you know which one am I going to have to pay this month or not pay this month, and how much am I going to pay that one, and not going to have to figure it out. It's just like I pay once and and it's done. It's easy. It's it's so easy. Would you can you talk a little bit about your experience and and the impact that it that this process has had on your financial habits or how you think about money or how you think about debt? Have have any of those shifted? Well, I'm not definitely not using credit as much as I have was. Um using you know, much, much less. And that first counseling session was really good. Um, uh, talking with Blair's associate there for the first time was a couple of eye-openers there. So um, just watching things better, staying, you know, making sure that I don't get behind or anything like that. And can you talk a little bit more about the things that really your eyes were open to for the first time? How easy, um, how easy it is to get into that situation. Like, it, you'd be surprised one paycheck away from being there, right? And then how, uh, just how easy it is to get get behind and things like that. It's, um, but it can happen to anybody. Yeah, I, th- I think your, your words are, are just so on, on point, Mark, in that, um, you know, as Elaine said earlier, you were doing everything right, and suddenly you got laid off, and, you know, most folks would be in the same situation, 20 months of reduced income or no income. Um, you know, if you weren't in debt before, then you're going to be in, in debt after. Um, so I think it's really impressive to just hear um, that you've been able to go through the consumer proposal and, you know, maintain a very positive attitude. I can just hear it coming through that, you know, you got optimism as you move forward. Um, I wonder, Mark, what would you, uh, what words of advice would you give to somebody who might be facing a similar situation? Because I know some people are so self-critical and they think reaching out to a trustee, you know, it's an admission of failure. And um, and you know, I know it's completely not that, but I think hearing it from someone who's been through it can, can mean a lot. Yeah, um, don't wait. <laughs> um, the first signs of trouble, you need to talk to Blair. Um, <laughs> Go talk to Blair and his team and, and at least see the options. Do not wait. Uh, the longer you wait, the, the worse it can get, and then you're in real trouble. And we've got a couple of uh, minutes left in this segment, and, and Blair, Mark's words mm-hmm. certainly aren't new to you. You hear this from folks who have come and sat down in front of you and laid out mm-hmm. their situation. 
Yeah, and you know, I hear a lot of the fears that that people have. And and Mark, I was so um, you know, if you could see me, you just see you know, chest popped up with pride when you said the first thing you felt was no judgment, because uh, that's exactly what we try to do at, at Sands and Associates. And I might have said this to you, and if not, I hope you feel it. But I know I could be in the same situation. You know, we're all just you know one job loss away, or one medical condition away, or one relationship breakdown away from having to seek help for our debts. So I think the more that people are hearing this and realizing that you know you getting help, it doesn't mean that you're feeling judged. This is the time when you can actually start to move forward. Um, I'm curious, Mark, as you said, you said a bunch of times, and I really believe it, that it's been a very easy process. What was the hardest part of it? Because um, I hear different things from different clients. Sometimes it's getting, you know, being forced to become organized and get taxes caught up and different things like that. What did you find was the most work you had to do to, to get things going? Um, I think the, the most work would be getting the getting the paperwork together, um, you know, confirmation of the bills and things like that. That was probably the most work I had to do. And even that wasn't that hard um, because, you know, they're sending you bills every day. So um, it, uh, it really wasn't a hard process. It was, it was so easy. Good. If you'd like more information or if this resonates with you, check out the website, Sands and Associates. It's sands-trustee.com. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Kind of a part two, we've already had a bit of a discussion about uh, quick and easy financial tips to help you to that, and I don't think it's unrealistic, but to a a playing field where you're comfortable and you're meeting your expenses and you're meeting Mm -hmm. your debts and you're having a good life. I I don't think that, I don't think that's unrealistic to, to sort of help folks get to that place. I think that's a reasonable goal. And the whole idea of the quicksands series of tips here is just to guide you to better financial management. So better for someone who's always doing great might be just a little tweak around the edges. Better for somebody who's in a very dire financial situation could be, well, here's a plat, here's a path to become debt free. So it's, just all to help you to improve wherever you are. Now, I like this. This segment's all about ways to help you feel like you're managing your money a little bit better than mm-hmm. possibly you are at this point. So let's so let's uh, talk about that. Mm-hmm. The first place is: Are you going to the right? bank, which I thought was a really good question to ask. Yeah. So we, we've talked a little bit about, you know, there's so many options for a different bank account and so many complicated different packages at each institution, but not everyone's banking needs are exactly the same. And when I, when I ask people, you know, when's the last time you actually sat to take a look at your bank account and its regular fees? You know, most people say, well, I, I've never done that. You know, I know. I, I, <laughs> Am and I looking I, at somebody? <laughs> you are. And when yeah. I read this in prepping for this, I thought I'm I'm gonna I don't know. Yeah. I, and I've been there for a really long time and I have no idea. Right. And a lot of people, they just get you know the notice from the bank, hey, fees are changing this year. They don't say what's going up or down until you really read the fine print. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of the times we're just on cruise control with our banking relationship. And you know the facts are the right bank account can actually make quite a bit of difference uh, in your day-to-day life to the point where there's, in my view, there's no reason for any Canadian to be paying monthly banking fees every month. There are so many free accounts that are out there, whether it's Simply Financial or Tangerine or different different options there. 
But if you're paying, you know, 15 or 20 or $30 a month for your banking services, really sit down and take a look at, okay, well, what am I getting for that that I would not be getting for a no-fee bank account? And you might find that all of your needs are actually being met by a no-fee bank account, but you're just paying because you like to have the prestige or being a signature customer or mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, I can tell you, me personally, 15 to $20 a month in banking fees is absurd, but for some people, if they feel that they can get that value from it, well, okay. So at least consider, is your account meeting your needs? Take a look at what are the payments that you're making or the fees that you're being charged each month. Uh, and even if you're happy with where you are, there's no downside from my point of view to sit down, have a meeting with somebody at the bank and just say, I'd like to understand what are my options for lowering my expenses. And generally, you're going to come out with at least something. And if nothing else, well, you're no worse off. They're not going to raise your fees because you suddenly um, decided to, to come in and ask yeah, for a discount. Exactly. Now, one thing I really encourage people to, to be aware of, and this is not so much with banks sometimes, but uh, definitely with loan providers or credit grantors, uh, is the idea of balance protection insurance. Okay. I've been doing trustee work a long time. I've never had a single client who was actually able to collect on this type of insurance. Mm. So this is the insurance, you know, if you were to lose your job, it'll make your payments, so on and so forth. It can be very expensive. Sometimes, you know, $50 a month in some cases, sometimes $20 a month. Um, and you just pay it regardless every month of whether you, you actually need the insurance or not. So take a look. Have you been opted into some insurance programs that even if you need them, they probably wouldn't pay out. Um, and for the most point, uh, people don't even know that they're paying those costs each month. Excellent. I like the idea that you've included the automatic savings uh, because it, it can be hard if you're physically having to take money and put it someplace mm-hmm. as opposed to having somebody else do it automatically. Exactly. So the best way to make your savings a habit is, again, make it a priority to do it first uh, and to really set it up with almost every bank. You could have a separate account and you could set up regular transfers that say the day that you're paid, you know what 10% of your income is going to be. Take that income and put it over to the savings account or put it directly into the RR or into the TFSA, but paying it off the top and making it automatic, that's so important to do. That's a really good idea. I like this part, this part that we're talk, going to talk about next is it, it, money plays a huge part in our lives every day, all the time, but it also plays a role in the relationship mm-hmm. and or relationships, I should say. It doesn't matter what kind of relationship it is, uh, but money does sometimes are often figures. So I think this is a good one. And I I like the fact that you started with a winning partnership. Mm -hmm. It's really good, good advice, good information, good reminder. Yeah, so you need to keep in mind that you are in a partnership if you're sharing your life with somebody um, and finances are a piece of that. So if just one spouse is completely responsible for all the finances or has all the knowledge, that's not ideal. You're not working together on that. You've got one person shouldering all the responsibility and perhaps all the blame if things don't go right. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So what you really want to do is get on the same page as your spouse or your partner. So sit down and whether it's on a monthly basis or bi-monthly or something like that, but review all of your finances together. So look at the debts that each of you have, the debts that are shared together, uh, look at the income, look at the bills each month and just have full financial transparency. You know, if God forbid one should happen to one of the partners here, it's really important that the other person can still, you know, keep the bills paid and the lights on as they go through a very tough time. Um, What you'd want to do is also talk about your personal spending habits and with no judgment, but just understanding, you know, people grow up in different households, they bring different philosophies towards money. And sometimes that can be a very compatible or incompatible method uh, of, of client 
clients, you know, having conflict about um, how they actually spend their money. But knowing um, from a going in point of view that someone's more of a saver or more of a spender, where someone could spend the five or ten dollars and not think about it, uh, it would keep the other partner up for you know days on end just thinking about that wasted money. That's really important for clients to communicate or customers to or couples, pardon me, to try to communicate and try to work through together. That's good advice. I like the second one too. And can you explain it? It's called lead by example. So what are you telling us? Yeah, so what I'm, what I'm saying here is, you know, again, not everybody grows up with the same type of financial literacy, but there are a couple of things that you can do if you've got kids at home that can kind of give them a little bit more of a leg up than the alternative might be. Uh, so one idea that we like is instead of giving kids a small weekly allowance, you know, a few dollars here or there that just goes in and out, uh, consider a monthly allowance, a monthly allowance that might feel more like a paycheck, and that can teach them responsibility to budget their money. If it's all gone the next day, well, then, gee, there's 28 days left left in the month here, guys. So maybe we want to budget more next month. But again, giving, trying to lead by example for your kids to give them more of the monthly allowance than the weekly allowance, that could be a really nice way to do that. That's a good idea. What about asking for help? And uh, and that's a hard thing for for lots of folks to do. Yeah, and with finances, you know, probably even more so almost than even health. You know, we're very, very um, ashamed often about the situations that get us into debt, even though sometimes it's outside of our complete control. But there's a number of financial professionals that you can reach out to. And it's not just trustees out there, but someone like a financial planner. So if you have no idea where to start from a long-term point of view, you know you want to retire eventually, you want your family to be financially secure in the long term, well, that's what a financial planner is going to help you do, help you to work out that savings and where it should go each month. Um, an accountant, if you're at all self-employed and you don't have an accountant, you need an accountant. You need someone to help you with your taxes, help you understand all the changes with CRA every year. It's generally, it's money well spent. Um, if you're not self-employed, um, you may not need an accountant, but you know, just looking into how complex or simple your situation might be, an accountant might be someone you'd reach out to potentially for, for some questions on a yearly basis. Um, a lawyer, for example, could be another professional. Now, typically, this is going to be when you're having some major life events that have a financial impact. Maybe it's the start or end of a marriage. It could be wills and estate planning, accident or an injury, or even a real estate purchase. So you'd need a lawyer at certain transactional times in your life. But most people don't have a lawyer on speed dial. They don't have someone that you know is, is managing every aspect of their life. You know, a lawyer is typically a transactional type of thing you would need. And when do when when is the best time to go see a licensed insolvency trustee like your yourself. Probably sooner than you think. Yeah. So the reason why we spend so much time on this show, Elaine, is that even today I met with somebody and two years ago was when they knew they're going to need their help. They're not going to be able to get through this. And, you know, they muddled along for about another two years and now they're in my office now. Uh, and that was just this morning. And we were saying, you know, wouldn't it be great if we had started this two years ago? You would have been finished a year ago. Uh, you would have been rebuilding your credit. And and that's right. They're saying, yeah, but I just kind of wasn't, wasn't ready at that point. And that's totally fine. Everybody's on their own journey. But generally at the first step of when you know you're not going to be able to pay off your debts, talk to a trustee. If nothing else, we'll give you good advice to help you move forward. And if you do need some help, starting it sooner rather than later is just better for everyone. So if any of this is resonating with you and you find yourself in a situation that you're overwhelmed by your debts and know, first of all, that you're not alone and that you can take action, and that's where a licensed insolvency trustee would come in. And contact uh, a local Sands and Associates representative in a BC office. They're all over the place. Uh, here's the 1-800 number. It's 661-3030. Or or if you're feeling that's a bit too much to first big step, go to the website, sands-trustee.com. There's just a ton of good information there for you. Lots and lots of questions and answers. And book that as well. You can book your finance, your confidential free debt consultation. You're listening to Dollars and Cents.
Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Now, you may or may not be one of the many, many people who fall into the trap of making only minimum payments when your credit card bill shows up in the mail. Uh, And then there's the group that not only do that, but then the assumptions made that you're actually making some progress on that bill. And that's why this segment is called Minimum Payment Math. Mm -hmm. So Blair, first off, um, can you explain how credit card minimum payments are even calculated? Yeah. So, you know, Elaine, you you were saying, you know, there's a number of people that, you know, fall into the trap of making minimum payments. Thankfully, it's not the majority. So about 80% of people in Canada, they pay off their balances every month on their credit card. So, you know, that's a positive thing. And credit is not necessarily an evil thing if you pay it off every single month. You know, you might get some rewards points, you you know, if you're, you might protect yourself with some extra extended warranties and that. But what can really happen is if you're just focused on making that minimum payment, oftentimes you're not getting ahead. And and to no fault of your own, right? Because it's stated very clearly on the line, you know, this is this is what your debt is, or this is what the your credit is at this point. This is how much credit you have left. And your minimum payment is this. Yeah, it's like this is all you need to do to be good. Perfect. Yay. Thank you, Mr. (laughs) Bank. Not. Well, well, exactly. Because the minimum payment, you know, when you look into it, how it's actually calculated, it's very much to the bank benefit. And, you know, from your point of view, it looks attractive because if all you do is pay the minimum payment, you know, your credit rating doesn't take a hit. You're being compliant with everything that you're supposed to do every month. But let's talk about how the minimum payments are actually calculated yeah. because it does vary by different banks. Okay. Um, you know, sometimes it can even be different across a different card at, at the same bank. Oh, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. And, you know, here's a little insider tip too. Your credit history does matter even determining which cards you're offered and at what prices. So minimum payments could be different based on your credit history. Okay. But, you know, typically a minimum payment is somewhere in the range of one to two and a half percent of the balance on your credit card. And let's think about that for a second. One to two percent. A lot of credit cards are, you know, 20 percent a year. So one or two percent on a monthly basis, that's barely going to cover the interest in a lot of cases. Oh, and sometimes it doesn't even do that, right? I mean, we could have a minimum payment that doesn't even cover the the interest that's charged. You could, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I looked uh, in depth at at one of the largest Canadian banks and looked at how they calculate um, their minimum payments. And I can call it out Royal Bank because it's right on their website how they calculate their payments is it's your charges, you know, it's the fees, um, it's any other interest costs on top of it, and $10. So what you're actually contributing to bring your balance down every month is $10 if you're just paying the minimum payment. So you can imagine a debt of any size, you're not getting out from under it if you're just making the minimum payment. Even even if even if your debt is only $1,000, let's say, right? Yeah. I mean, it would still take a long time to pay that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, you've talked, we've talked before in segments about banks need and this is kind of a a new thing, that they need to point out the impact of making only minimal payments. Or at least I think when I I saw that question, I thought, okay, that's that little box where they Mm -hmm. say, if you only paid the minimum payment, then it would take you, you know, 5,000 years to pay off off this debt. Not really exaggerated, a little there. Um, So, but what... What do they have to do? What does a bank have to do? Well, you hit it right on the head, Elaine. This is something that banks, they weren't the ones leading the charge to do this. You know, banks weren't rushing out there saying, we think people don't 
understand that they're paying too much in credit card interest. We want to make it easier on them. Yeah, you're richer <laughs> than you think. Anyway, yeah. um, but no, this was you know the Financial Consumer Agency of Canada, and this is a requirement that dates back to 2010 now. Which isn't uh, but, that long ago. Yeah, and, and it's really taken a while for people to even notice because a lot of the time, even with my clients, if they feel like they're just hopelessly in debt, they even stop opening the statements. They don't look too closely at them. They just really feel like they've got an issue and that's that. Yeah. Um, but the law requires that in clear language and in clear font, now it could be at different places on the statement. I've seen it, you know, buried in the footer almost. Uh, but the credit card companies have to tell you exactly how long it will take you to fully repay the balance if only the minimum payment is made each month. So that's the very least that the bank can do as far as I'm concerned, is, yeah. <laughs> is give you that information. Yeah. So those $10 that you're, those $10 that you're giving <laughs> them each month, it'll take you till, you know, 2050 yeah. to pay this off. Bad, man. Yeah. So, and there's almost nobody I meet with that's not just shocked when they look closely at that. You know, even a small amount of debt, you know, small is a relative term, but even a few thousand dollars, you're in the years, sometimes yeah. in the decades to get out of it. And I know we've got some examples today we're going to look at. Yeah, let's do that. So low interest credit card, first of all, mm-hmm. uh, let's say you've got a $5,000 balance. Uh, you've got a, almost a 12% interest rate. Mm-hmm. So let's work that out. Yeah, you know, 11.9 in a low interest card is, is pretty standard. And this is a card that you'll get if you've got a really good credit rating. So not everybody's going to be able to access a low rate card, but some people will. Exactly. I've never seen 11.9% interest rate on a credit card. Yeah. And, it, I, and I'm pretty good paying yeah. my bills pretty fast. But and, and you'll often find these aren't the cards that are advertised in a big way because obviously they're less profitable for, for the banks. Okay. But you've got a $5,000 balance, which you know is a lot, but mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't seem like this insurmountable mountain of debt. Right. You've got a relatively low rate interest card um, and you're going to make the minimum payments. It's going to take you 14 years and seven months. Let's say that again, 14 years and seven months on a low rate card to get out of $5,000 of debt. That's crazy. 14 years, a lot can happen in 14 years. And this is the other piece. So if you're, if you're starting with, and that's if you don't add anything onto that balance too, right? That's just free. It's 5,000. That's what it's sticking for 14 years. So $5,000 balance, but the interest paid. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, in this case, it's almost half of the debt. It's $2,400, give or take a few dollars. Um, that's your interest cost. So when people come in to me, they say, I know I've paid this debt off multiple times over the years. I look at them and say, yeah, you probably had yeah. with a high interest rate card. So let's look at the standard credit card, mm-hmm. pretty much the one that we all have. I mean, I, like yeah. again, I don't know who gets a low interest rate credit card, but yeah. the standard one is 18.9% interest. Mm-hmm. So same amount in our balance, $5,000 balance. Yep. We have went from 14 years to almost 20 years, 19 years and nine months to get out from under a $5,000 debt, just making the minimum payments. And our interest cost in this point, in this case, actually exceeds the value of the debt. So we're going to pay $5,300 of interest on a standard credit card, doing what everyone says, you know, is important, make the minimum payments. Credit rating is going to be fine, but you've paid more than 100% of that debt over time. And it's taking you a good part of your working life to do so. Exactly. So retail store credit cards. Now, this surprises me. You're you're giving it a 29.9% interest rate. Yeah. Not that I'm doubting you, yeah. but not all retail stores have that high of an interest rate, or do they? Well, some are higher. Really? <laughs> I've, really? I've seen 34, 35. Is that right? Uh, but yeah, most store credit cards that I've seen are in, in the high 20s or so. But yeah, you might find some that are similar to a standard um, credit card, especially if it's a broader card that's accepted at other places. Oh, fair enough. Uh, but yeah, most store credit cards are in the range of the 29% mark. Wow. Okay. So yeah. we're almost at 30% interest rate, mm-hmm. 5000 
$1,000 balance. How long is it going to take you to pay that off? Well, from when you start working to when you retire, it's going to take you 50 years, five zero years and four months. And you would have paid, get this, Elaine, you would have paid $23,000 in interest on a $5,000 debt. That's just crazy. So if folks are listening, I, I hope you realize these, are, you know, these aren't extreme examples. This is what I see people every day. They're just carrying balances. They're making minimum payments and they're really getting no further ahead. Okay, so we're all about solutions on mm-hmm. on this show, dollars and cents. What can we do or what can we consider at least when it comes to minimum payment math? Well, a couple of things are, are pretty basic. So, you know, first off is really think twice about putting down the plastic. Um, you know, there's something to be said for spending cash because you feel the physical pain of, of handing over $50 or $100 or something like that. And it's done. And, and it's done. And, and the payment is made. And that's exactly. what I like about cash. Yeah. Not that I use it all the time, but that's what I like about it. It's done. Yeah. So if you're going to use a credit card for your purchases, the advice is to make sure you've got the cash socked away to pay it off at the end of the month. Okay. If you're part of the 80% of people that pay off the balances each month, then they're not making money off you. You know, you again, you may even be getting some benefits, but it's yeah. when you start to carry the balance, that's the issue. So use the card knowing that it's not a means of carrying a balance. It's, you know, essentially a charge card that you pay off every single month. Yeah. And... and and they are convenient. There's no doubt about it. I mean, credit mm-hmm. cards can get used for things that are, it's just very convenient. It makes sense. But the key is to have that money exactly. somewhere that yep. then you can pay it off. Yep. Now, this is interesting. You're suggesting that we be wary of rewards programs. Yeah. And what, why is that? Because I always thought they were a good thing. Well, and, and definitely from a marketing point of view, they're great because they got us excited about cards and air travel and different things like that. Um, but you've really got to do the risk reward analysis because at best, the best cards out there typically are around percent of your spend, you know, sometimes in a range on different categories, but most of the time it's 1% of your spend. If you're putting something on credit and your interest rate is 19% a year, every month you're paying more than 1% in interest. So if you're putting something on credit just to get the points, but you're not going to pay it off for four or five months, Got it. you've really put yourself further behind. Okay. You know, that's part of it is, you know, don't get lured in by, by, by the points and spend sure. more than you should. But the other point too is upon redeeming for travel, there's all these costs, there's charges. A lot of times people will overextend themselves saying it's a free flight, but it still costs me $400. Well, that's the thing. You yeah. really have to pay attention, especially with air travel. Yeah. The, the tax is just crazy. Yeah. I mean, we use uh, the air miles or the air points, mm-hmm. depending on what airline. And then you got to pay the tax. Yeah. Like you might get the flight, but it's the tax could be six, seven, eight hundred dollars. Exactly. Depending yeah. on the destination, it can be almost as much as a standard ticket would be, which is just shocking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it is. It yeah. totally is. Uh, cash advances. I've often been tempted to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, just say no. But yeah, <laughs> I do, I don't do it because yeah. I'm just afraid to. <laughs> that's probably the worst deal that's out there in terms of ac- access to credit. Um, so cash advances, the minute you take that money out, they start to hit you with interest. And the whole point of a credit card is that you make the purchase and you get some interest-free grace period that when you get the bill in, you normally get 21 days to pay. And if you pay it off, you don't pay any interest. As soon as you take money out of a machine for a cash advance, they're hitting you with interest. And usually it's their highest interest at that point. Um, Sometimes there's even a special interest on cash advances that's a little bit higher than your standard rate. So on the 11.9% card, there's probably a higher cash advance interest if you started using it for cash advances. Got it. Okay. So you really have to read the fine print Mm -hmm. to know what the cash advance interest rate is on a card. 
Yeah, and one that got me when I, I was, you know, relatively new in, in, in my career. And I thought, oh, gee, I can just, you know, get some cash here. It's relatively cheap on a low card, but there's often a transaction cost. Yes. Sometimes it's one to 3% of the total amount that you're taking out. So you can imagine you're going to pay interest right away. You're going to pay a transaction cost of one to 3%. Um, there better be a really good reason why you immediately need that money because it's very expensive. Yeah, depending on where you're going, especially if you're traveling. I've learned that lesson, yeah. or we've learned that lesson, that I think, oh, well, that should be easy. If we need cash, because mm-hmm. sometimes that's the only thing that is uh, available, or if you need to make a transaction or pay for something, you need cash, well, let's just take it out on the card. And I get this look like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what that means? Yeah. The other thing is that this surprised me, that the interest is charged from the day you take the money. Yeah. yeah. That's really no grace period. No grace period at mm-hmm. all. And and then the special interest rates. Have we sort of covered that already, or is there more that we need to pay attention with well, the special interest rates? Yeah, I think just be careful. If you start to miss payments or go over your limit, uh, your interest rate can increase very significantly. Okay. It's so important, you know, to read the fine print, take a look at what you've got, take a look at what you've already signed up for. Um, and if you're, if you are in a bind or if you know that you're in trouble, you have an exceeding, you know, your debt is growing, uh, the best place to go, the best guy to talk to, uh, go see Blair at uh, Sands and Associates, any of his staff. They have wonderful, wonderful people, nice and easy to do. Check out their website, lots of good information there, sands-trustee.com, or nice and easy as well as calling them at 1 800 661 3030 to get that free consultation and to find an office near you. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin along with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. This segment's all about the frequently asked questions about consumer proposals. And you are well aware that consumer proposal, that even the term is still a bit foreign uh, mm-hmm. for a lot of people. Uh, and the, there's some key things about um, a consumer proposal and going to a licensed insolvency trustee. First of all, they're the only ones that can offer a consumer proposal. And that gives you an opportunity to consolidate your debt legally without resorting to to loans, bankruptcy, or credit counseling. Um, and although it's not a new debt solution, lots of folks sort of get uh, sit back, go, what? What's a licensed insolvency mm-hmm. trustee today still? Yeah, a proposal, you know, I often say, you know, most things, they sound too good to be true and they are too good to be true. This is one of those things that sounds too good to be true. You're telling me I can get all my debt reduced down to what I can afford. You're telling me there's no more interest. You're telling me nobody can sue me. I can include the government debt. All of that is true. All that's part of a consumer proposal. It's not too good to be true. It's just that you don't know about it. So purpose of us doing this show, the purpose I believe I'm put on this earth is to make people aware um, of consumer proposals as an outstanding way of getting yourself back to owing nobody anything without resorting to a bankruptcy. So in terms of the formal definition of what is a consumer proposal, well, a consumer proposal, it's a legal agreement. It allows a person to consolidate all of their debts into a single amount. It stops all the future interest charges and collection activities. So it's the same protection as a bankruptcy, but it's not a bankruptcy. And the most important part is you repay a portion of the debt. So it's often as little as 20 cents on the dollar. Maybe it's 40 or 50 cents on the dollar. It depends, but it's generally 
generally less than the full amount, but that's in full satisfaction of the amounts owing. So if someone were to owe $20,000, for example, um, you know, they're struggling, they're making minimum payments, it's going to take them forever to get out of that situation, they might offer to do a consumer proposal to pay back 30% of that debt, and that might be payments of about $166 over about a three-year period. The balance of the debt would be written off, all they would pay is about the $160, $170 for about three years, and that would deal with the situation. Now, a consumer proposal is not a new term for bankruptcy. There's still two very different things, and only licensed insolvency trustees can facilitate either one of them. That's exactly correct. So they're totally different remedies. They report differently on a credit bureau. Um, the fact is it's the same protection, which is excellent. If you go into bankruptcy, everybody knows they've got to leave you the heck alone. Well, if you do a consumer proposal, everyone's got to leave you the heck alone as well, but you didn't go bankrupt. You just got the same protection by doing a proposal. Now, can anyone file a consumer proposal? Well, there's not a, re- a restriction around citizenship, but you have to owe some money, obviously, or else you wouldn't have the need for it. So uh, to file a consumer proposal in BC, you have to be residing here and you have to owe more than $1,000. Now, generally, people don't file proposals for a few thousand dollars. Usually right. it's at least five to 10, but you know, owe more than $1,000 and less than $250,000, excluding any mortgages that they might have in their principal residence. Okay, so it doesn't include that. Mm-hmm. Um, and can you do it with somebody or is it always done singularly? If a couple, um, you know, whether they're a married couple or even it's just two people whose basically finances are substantially the same, that's what it says in the law, it can be done as a joint consumer proposal. So, you know, most often we see husbands and wives do a joint consumer proposal because that's how the, the way the household budgets is everything all together. Right. So that makes sense. So it's not a requirement. If one husband or wife were to do a consumer proposal, it doesn't compel the other to do so, uh, but it does give an option to make a joint filing. Now, and I want to repeat this uh, again. Only a licensed insolvency trustee can facilitate either a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy. Yeah, full stop. And there's reason, you know, there's a lot of good reasons for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the government issues, you know, it's around a thousand licenses uh, for trustees in Canada, and that's it. You can imagine there's multiples of that in terms of lawyers, accountants, so on and so forth. But the only person that could ever help you with the proposal or even with the bankruptcy is a licensed insolvency trustee. Okay. Let's talk about um, the stay with the consumer proposal. Can you... uh, I know there's lots of benefits to them, but are mm-hmm. there some key ones that you always make sure that people know? Yeah, let, let's go through a couple of them here. Um, you know, one is that it allows you to actually consolidate all of your debt, which is what a lot of people want to do. They want to consolidate their debt, get it down to a lower interest rate, but quite often they approach the bank and the bank says, well, unless you have assets or really high income, we're not going to give you a consolidation loan. Well, what a consumer proposal allows you to do is consolidate regardless of your credit rating. So you're only making one payment and the benefit above and beyond beyond a consolidation loan is you're not paying everything back and you're paying zero interest. So it's a lot more affordable than a bank consolidation would be. So if consolidation is what you want to do, a proposal can help you achieve that. Um, what it will also do is it will stop the interest and the collection activities. So if you're being taken to court, even if there's a court hearing you know, tomorrow and you sign a proposal today, you're protected. You, know, you go to that hearing the next day, you hold up your documents and typically everything grinds uh, to a screeching halt because now you're protected under the terms of a consumer proposal. Um, you know, the last thing I'd want to call it, Elaine, is what a consumer proposal allows you to do also is protect your assets. So if you go through a bankruptcy, most people keep all of their assets, but there are some situations, you know, if they've got an extra vehicle or some investments or things that if they went through a bankruptcy, something might have to be liquidated. When you do a consumer proposal, by definition, you're keeping all of your assets. So you don't need to worry about losing anything. Nothing's ever taken from you. A proposal is a better deal for your creditors than if they had 
came and seized your assets from you. Okay. And can I include all my debts in a consumer proposal? Well, pretty well. That, that's yes. So there, there's a few that are excluded and they're the same ones always excluded in the law, you know, money owing for things stolen or fraud, embezzlement and child support. Um, but beyond things like that, you know, consumer and business debts, whether it's credit cards, lines of credit, overdraft, payday loans, instant loans, whatever it is, that can all be included. Um, income tax debt, this is very surprising to a lot of people, um, but whether it's, you know, your standard income taxes or if you were self-employed, if you have GST or corporate taxes or even payroll remittances, a consumer proposal is the only way in Canada you can make a deal on those types of debts. Um, CRA is not going to negotiate any reductions with you directly. They'll only reduce the debts as part of a consumer proposal. Uh, if you have things like student loans, um, ICBC debts, uh, debts where you've guaranteed for somebody else, yeah. um, or even if it's a personal debt that you owe um, a personal creditor and whether they're being difficult or not, you know you owe the money, uh, you can deal with that as part of a consumer proposal. And do you actually... Are you actually able to stop creditors from calling people? Yeah, we do it every day. And and how does that? How do you do that? Mm-hmm. Well, we have this thing called the Federal Bankruptcy and Insolvency Act, and what it does is it sets out uh, basically a code of conduct across the country. And it's federal, obviously, takes precedence over anything provincial. And it says as soon as you've engaged the services of a licensed insolvency trustee through either a bankruptcy or a proposal, there's what's called a stay of proceedings that comes into effect. And that's a mouthful, but what it means is that anything that's happens against you, the music has to stop. Everyone has to put pens down. They can't do anything against you to collect um, or execute on anything to do with your debts. So if you file a consumer proposal, the first thing you do is you sit down, you sign documents with us. The second thing that we do after that is we send those documents out to your creditors, often the same day or within a couple of days. And then as soon as they have those documents, federal law requires them to refrain from any contact with you. Okay. So let's say I've um, booked an appointment or I've decided to come and see you. What happens then? Is there, there's a very specific, uh, unfolding of events. Yeah, let's talk through the main steps of going through a consumer proposal. So first off, as you hit a nail right on the head there, is you've got to call. you got to reach out uh, or send an inquiry online to Sands and Associates, and we'll sit down for a free confidential debt consultation. You don't need to have all of your information up front. It's good for us to know, hey, here's a general idea of the debt. Here's a good budget that I'm living within, or at least here's a pay stub. But we'll work with whatever you have for the first conversation, and we can usually tell right away if this is going to make sense for you or not. You know, if someone would like to do a consumer proposal, but they're in a situation where they're struggling to pay rent each month and they've literally got zero dollars available to pay their debts, well, a proposal is not going to be the right option at this time because it's going to be an obligation, you know, already that the person stressed about making that they don't have the proposal. Right. Um, so we want to make sure it works in every situation, but you come in for that first consultation. Um, if you decide to file the consumer proposal, you'll meet with the trustee a couple of times. We've got all the documents together um, and then we send the proposal out to your creditors. What happens then is they have to vote like any proposal in life can be accepted or rejected. And with a consumer proposal, there's a 45-day period. So from the day that you sign, for the next 45 days, you're automatically protected from your creditors while they consider whether they're going to accept your proposal or not. If they do accept your proposal, and that's 95% of the time they take the first offer, that protection extends for the full term of the proposal. Uh, But the key step there is that we've got to send the proposal out to your creditors and get them to accept it. Once they've accepted it, step three is you performing the proposal. So if the proposal was for, say, $170 a month for three years, you're going to make those payments each month, and then you're also going to come for a couple of financial counseling sessions. And then at the end of all those payments, your proposal will be finished, your debts are all discharged, and you move forward owing nobody anything. If you want to make that first step, uh, 
couple of ways to do that. You can call Sands and Associates toll-free at 1-800-661-3030, or you can visit their website at sands-trustee.com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.